Hello, this is Search for Truth with John Martin and Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher at Search for Truth. Tomorrow's headlines is our theme, and today Brian's subject is the Third Temple Project. It's fascinating to trace the existence of the Jerusalem Temple through history to the present day and beyond via Bible prophecy. So let's do that now as Brian leads us through our Bible teaching and takes up the story about 400 years after the first temple, sometimes called Solomon's Temple, was built. So over to you, Brian. In the 6th century BC, a small minority of Jews returned to Israel and began to rebuild the temple at Jerusalem that had been demolished decades earlier by the invading superpower that had deported them to captivity. That rebuilding project eventually led to the construction of what's often referred to as the Second Temple. Obviously, the original temple, built by King Solomon, was the first. The building of the Second Temple turned out to be a matter of some political controversy due to opposition from settlers. The Bible books of Ezra and Nehemiah record for us the stop-go nature of that building project. But all traces of that temple were destroyed by the Romans in the first century of our era. So it's now more than 19 centuries since Israel had its own temple. For the past 13 centuries, the Islamic faith has dominated the old city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. But things changed in 1967. During the Six-Day War, Israel captured the old city of Jerusalem and gained control once more over their ancient capital. In an act of restraint, so as to avoid any holy war, the Israeli government has refused to modify any of the holy sites on Temple Mount. Buildings sacred to the Islamic faith, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, stand on a platform Herod the Great built 2,000 years ago for Israel's temple. Muslims still administer the Temple Mount, But many Jews, a growing number, want to rebuild their temple in Israel. In a 1983 newspaper poll, 18% of Israelis felt that the time was right to rebuild the temple. In 1989, Israel's Ministry of Religious Affairs hosted a conference of temple research. Groups have formed to prepare the articles of clothing and the utensils that would be needed for a rebuilt temple. These items are on display in a museum at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. In a booklet explaining their purpose, the Temple Institute shows its longing for a rebuilt temple when it says, The dream of rebuilding the temple spans 50 generations of Jews, five continents, and innumerable seas and oceans. With God's help, we will soon be able to rebuild a temple on its holy mountain in Jerusalem, ushering in an era of peace and understanding, love and kindness, when God will be king over all the earth. In that day, God will be one and his name will be one. And so work goes on to breed the red heifer and to prepare other necessary articles and clothing for a rebuilt temple. A small minority of Jews are making serious preparations to rebuild the temple and resume its worship. 
but will a temple realistically ever be built again on land already occupied by Muslim mosques and shrines? Will there be a third temple? The Apostle Paul answers, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So Paul writes of a future temple which will be commandeered by a sinister figure he describes as the lawless one. That's a striking way of describing this future world leader, for we'd expect lawlessness to be opposed by the power of the state. And there had been times when the Apostle Paul himself had reason to be thankful for the restraint of law as wielded by the Roman Empire. But if a European power block that can be equated with the Roman Empire of history were to gain the ascendancy in world affairs at the time of the end, we might begin to make sense of Paul's words here. Indeed, this would be good reason for Paul appearing to be more than a little cryptic. It certainly would have been prudent for him not to talk too openly about the removal of the restraining power of a Roman state. But at some future point, with satanic timing, this lawless one appears on the scene out of the midst of a superpower which up till then had generally been a restraining influence. His anti-social, anti-law and anti-God agenda will at once be apparent. Not that such things aren't around already in the undercurrents of self-centred materialism and godless ideologies and moral permissiveness. But we best not lose sight of what we were saying about a rebuilt temple, a third Jerusalem temple. The Apostle Paul's view of the future assumes there will be one. That was the main point. But before the temple can be rebuilt, its exact former location will need to be determined, presumably by archaeological excavations, something Arabs in Jerusalem seem unlikely to permit. In 1990, the mere rumour of a group of Jews planning to lay a foundation stone was enough to bring out thousands of angry demonstrators. It's been suggested that the temple sanctuary had previously stood a hundred metres or so to the north of the Dome of the Rock. But other specialists are adamant that the Dome of the Rock would have to go. So the historical difficulties of building the second temple seem to pale into insignificance alongside the present obstacles in the way of constructing a third. 
how the technical and political problems surrounding the third holiest site in all of Islam will be resolved, the Bible doesn't say. But the Apostle Paul's words clearly imply that the third temple will be built. What's more, his words agree with the message of the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, who speaks of the prince who is to come, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. The reference is to the holy city of the Jews and to the most holy place. It simply can't be anything other than Jerusalem and the Temple Mount area. Daniel directs our attention to the prince who is to come, and this prince corresponds with the Apostle Paul's description of the same person as the lawless one. So two and a half thousand years ago, Daniel gave some clue as to how the third temple will come about. Daniel wrote of a firm covenant for one week, or literally one seven. We can interpret this prophecy by laying this verse alongside others in Daniel and in Revelation. These make clear that the time period denoted by seven is a reference to a seven-year period, a week of years, if you like. What Daniel's telling us is that a world leader will succeed in signing a seven-year peace deal with Israel. As well as guaranteeing the security of Israel's borders, this treaty appears to make provision for the construction of the third temple. Israelites will once again offer sacrifice and grain offering there. At least they'll be able to do it until their false messiah turns round and rips up the deal he's signed with them. Perhaps that's when he blatantly begins to oppose the principle of law and even God himself. Like some leaders in the Middle East or Central Asia and other places today, he will start to demand idolatrous worship in the way some emperors of Rome did long ago. And he'll base himself in the Jerusalem temple. So it's presumably completed by then, having been operational for sacrifices during the preceding three and a half years. With the words of Daniel and Paul, Jesus' own words are in full agreement as they predict the future desecration of a Jerusalem temple. Jesus spoke of a time when lawlessness is increased, and then the end shall come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jewish Christians may have recalled these words when the Roman army carried their ensigns with the emperor's image into the temple courts in AD 70 and then went on to offer sacrifices to them. But these words are destined to have a fuller, more terrible fulfilment when a third temple is desecrated. That's another of our golden rules for understanding Bible prophecy. There may well be partial fulfilments or secondary applications before the main fulfilment.
Jesus in the heavenly temple sits with God upon the throne, there no more to be forsaken, his humiliation gone. That's the place where we can worship today. Jesus said the worshippers that God seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth. If you wish to contact Brian about anything you've heard today or in this current series, the address to write is Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. You can also send for a free booklet. It covers all 12 programmes. Just ask for the title Tomorrow's Headlines and send to the same address, Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. Listeners in Australia should write to Search for Truth, Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134. You can use email if you wish. The address is sft at churchesofgod.info. There's also our website at www.searchfortruth.net. Thanks once again for the privilege of your company. I hope you can join us at the same time next week. Until then, this is John Martin saying goodbye and God bless. Mm-hmm.